We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Father, we love you. We, we thank you for the great thing that you have done, namely in Jesus Christ, sending him, living a perfect life, dying for our sins ascending to heaven seated at the right hand. We treasure and value and remember him today. So we thank you that there's people here, Lord, that, uh, that want to love, want to worship you with their life, want to be spent in such a way that towards the end of their life they can look back say that they did not run or labor for anything empty or vain. That they followed hard after you. Lord, would you produce that work in us in that manner? We love you so much. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Hey kids, at this time you're dismissed. Thanks for joining us in worship. So ages seven and below. Head back, and if you get a chance to just thank um, the worship team this Sunday, Joe and Josh, those guys and their wives, they they um, give up much, and they're here every Sunday, and um, they love serving the body of Christ and uh, helping us um, be pointed to Jesus Christ. So pull them aside and just give them a good a good bro hug, something like that. Um, hey, if you're visiting with us. Just want to welcome you. Uh, if you don't know my name, my name is Mike Newman. A uh, couple special welcomes. One is that uh, Dave and Janet Zender are back. That's great. Yes. Dave had a staph infection in his leg and all sorts of stuff. And um, and our fellow elder, he's back. We missed you. And it's good to, good to see you guys. And also, we got some friends from the D.C. area. Welcome. This is an uh, old friend from college. Um, we also we went to NAM together and uh, all sorts of stuff. But, you know, great to have the body of Christ. Um, yeah, I'm joking, by the way. Um, but it was the memorial that we went to. It's the memorial, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yes. Yes. Hey, one more thing. Um, today is a special day, especially for our family. Um, it comes around every once in a while. Um, and that is, well, just a little bit of history. Um, many of you know I'm from Green Bay, Wisconsin, which this kind of weather is like, like I was from Minnesota. I mean, you can find him like,
industry. The chaplain, some of the hackers, the Packers and the Cowboys play today at 4.50. We pray for me, especially. we got a divided home, um, but uh, we'll have fun. We're going to have some fun today, so it'll be great. Time, would you guys down Philippians? Are we struggling here? We're going to be writing down Philippians chapter one. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me. Philippians one, we'll spend our As you know, uh, we have been uh, starting our foundation series. Our church is is uh, communicating the values by way of arrows. We want to up, love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Today is devoted to out. We want to reach out. We want to take the gospel and reach out to the lost. Uh, next week, as you heard, is uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday. Churches around the country are celebrating it. And then the 28th will be devoted to our In Arrows, where we uh, study and learn what it means to love one another uh, as a local church. And so uh, we'll be in Philippians 1. And so join me. I would love to share Philippians 1 with you this morning. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. With all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the Gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, whether in chains or defending or confirming the Gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And because of this, I rejoice. God Himself can testify for how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer for you that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you will be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes from Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the Gospel. It has become clear that throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. As a result, most of my brothers in the Lord have been emboldened and have proclaimed the Gospel more clearly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry and others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I'm 
put here because of my chains. The former do so out of selfish ambition. Supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. <laughs> but what does it matter? The important thing is that whether false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I'll rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the provision of God's Spirit, that what has happened to me will really serve for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that in no way I will be put to shame, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, body whether by life or by death. For To me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't, I don't know. I, I depart and, des, and desire to be with Christ, which is better by far. But I know that I will remain. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you in your joy and progress in the faith. So that through my being with you, you may boast in Christ Jesus on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So then whether I come to you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you will stand firm, continuing as one for the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ not having fear in any way by those who oppose you. This will be a sign to them of their destruction, but for you, your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to me not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you saw the same struggles that I had and now continue to hear that I still have. It's the Word of God. Philippians 1. Let's study it. The title this morning is called Reaching Out. And this will be a sermon um, equipping the church in evangelism. And what we're going to do, there's five boards up here. Um, we're going to break uh, this passage up in five different sections. So let's go ahead and start with the first one. We're going to call this section Partnership. Verses 1 all the way to 8. And this is what we're going to say about this first section, is that your partnership is key with regards to reaching out. In evangelism, it really matters who you partner with. It would seem that that would be a, a, an interesting first point to make. Almost surprising when it comes to a sermon on evangelism, right? You're like, well, Mike, why don't you just like um, tell us what to say? Like, give me that three points. Give me like that really good zinger of a question at the end. But Paul actually starts equipping the church with evangelism, saying it really matters um, the partners, the friends, the church that you are a part of. Uh, in the olden days, and this is how they would have received being a fisher of men. Yeah, a fisher of men. That's a team sport. It's not like just a single guy with a pole and a worm on a hook. 
It's a whole bunch of people pulling in a net. So what does it mean to walk with people, to be a partner with people when it comes to reaching out? What we're talking about here, just for clarity's sake, is your relationship with others in your local church. We know this because of verse 2. Go ahead and find it with your eyes. It says, to all the saints, or some translations say holy ones, um, at Philippi. So these are Christians at a particular city. And then it says, together with the overseers and deacons. Again, if you're reading this for the first time, you might be pricked and like, wait a second, I thought if you're going to share about how to reach others for Christ, if you're going to unfold a strategy, why would you include elders and deacons? To me, that immediately just makes me think of structure. And structure gets in the way of evangelism, right? But the Bible doesn't think so. God actually really likes the local church. He died for it. And it's his strategy and plan for reaching the nations. There's treasures found in these introductions, aren't there? Go ahead and look at verse 1 with me. Continuing to follow just the theme of partnership, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. This means that Paul didn't operate in isolation. He had a friend in the ministry. Later in chapter 2 that we'll look at on the 28th, he calls Timothy his gospel partner. He says, I have no one else like him. Look at this guy. He has served with me in the gospel like a son to a father. Timothy wasn't just a buddy-buddy. They didn't just hang out. They didn't just watch football together. I think... (coughs) Excuse me. I think that their whole relationship, all their conversations, were dominated with this one theme of mission. I'm sure when they got together, they talked about people. They talked about how people were doing spiritually. Hey, Timothy, have you gotten a chance to talk to Sarah? Do you think that she's a Christ follower yet? You know, I was talking to her the other day. Hey, whenever you get the chance, I think you should share the gospel with her. I think she's ready for it. Hey, Paul, have you talked to Spartacus lately about his marriage? I know. Like, let's really pray for them and let's see if we can help them so that they can glorify God in their marriage, right? Not just a buddy-buddy, focused with the gospel on mission. Partners for the sake of ministry. Look at verse 3 with me. This this, uh, idea of, of partnering for the sake of the gospel, for people, wasn't a drag to Paul and Timothy. It wasn't like, oh man, this is so heavy. This is so, ugh, I just, all right, I guess I got to do this. They actually really liked people. Verse 3, it says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. They were so grateful for their partnership in the gospel. Paul and Timothy with this church. They loved the fact, verse 6 and 7, that Jesus has committed to continue to work in them. And then look at that. Even in verse 6 and 7, it says, He calls them partakers of grace. 
you see this mutual love, this mutual care and uh, shared camaraderie in the gospel. And then finally, look at verse 8. He says that I long for you with the affections of Christ Jesus. Paul and Timothy love these people and love the fact that they are gospel partners. Just think about it. Uh, just, just imagine that someone came in the room today and they were excited to learn about Christianity. They, they, they are, they're like down with all the Jesus stuff. They agree with it, but they rub shoulders with us and go, you know what? I, I kind of think that this Christianity stuff is true, but all these cold, stiff people that don't love each other, I don't know if it actually works. Can you imagine if that's what someone said if they came into our midst? Paul is encouraging us to love one another. And he's saying, he's casting this vision that if we're to be reaching out, one of the main like rocks to put in the pitcher first so it doesn't overflow would be this, to love one another, to value your partnership, to value and raise your friendship level to a, a friendship biblical gospel level. So the question for you today would be something like this. In what ways can your friendship look more like Paul and Timothy's this year? In what ways can you move from a good hangout buddy to incorporating in your conversations, in your relationship, the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And if you're visiting today, and if you're looking to uh, partner with people, a church. That's, that's what you do when you visit a church. Not just like check out the, ch the children's ministry and see if they have like a nice slide or something or see if like you connect with the pastor or like the songs. You're looking for friends in the gospel that are willing to partner with you for the sake of reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. It's, it's, a, it's a significant thing when you visit a church. And it's, it can be very vulnerable. For example, this is what it could look like. Um, hey, Johnny, my adult son is coming to church today. Would you, would you keep an eye out for him? I don't know if he knows the Lord. And, and I've shared the gospel with him, but I'm really trusting that my church would love him well today. And so if you get a chance, I don't know what your lunch plans are, or this week if you could grab a coffee with him, but, but that would really bless me. I've been praying for my adult son that that would happen. And I just know that he'll find that sort of thing in my church. Or it, it could look like something like this. Hey, um, hey Sarah, I, I just want to ask for some accountability. Um, I've been reaching out to my neighbor for a number of years now. And I'm about ready to give up. He's just not responsive. Would you just pray that I would not give up? in this relationship. Would you pray that I would have perseverance? That's the kind of church, that's the kind of partnership that Paul is talking about, and that's the kind of church that we want to be. So welcome to the gathering if you're visiting. Let's keep going. Your partnership is key in the gospel. Here's the second one. Purity, 9 through 11. Paul prays, and this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best 
so that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. It's just a great passage of Scripture. So far, okay? So far you might be sitting here still with a little bit of angst. Like, Mike, man, you said this is a sermon on evangelism. I was thinking and hoping that you would like put up some demographics, draw some like John Madden circle and lines and go, boom, boom, this is where we're going, people. Join in. And there might be a time for that, right? Some time for strategy. But the biblical method that Paul has taken us through is he's going to say this, ready? When it comes to reaching people for Christ, your holiness is vital. You must love Jesus first. And your love for Him will, as it deepens, it will grow, 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 and it will jump the banks towards the lost. You can't share that which you cannot love. And that which you do not love. Purity is a significant theme in the Christian life. You got a favorite verse for purity, anyone? Right? Mine is, when I think of purity, I think of Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5. It says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? And you got it memorized? That's right, they shall see God. What is that saying? That if you are pure at heart, if you are honest with God and confess your sins to Him and others, that He'll clean you and wash you and wipe you as white as snow, right? And it's just beautiful. And that process of being restored back to God, that if you are pure at heart, God, that, that Jesus says that you have a correct vision of Him. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That means if you're not pure at heart, your vision of Him is distorted. Anyone in here feel far from God? Anyone ever feel like their relationship is dry? Right? Me too. I've had it all the time. I can identify with that because I'm human. And we are sinners. And God kindly calls us back to Him. Wants us to be pure at heart. And, and we can be pure by confessing our sins and placing our faith and trust in Him that He would forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And guess what? When we do that, we'll be blessed. We'll be pure. We'll be restored back to Him. This week, I saw someone value their purity so much that they risked looking stupid. They wanted to be so connected with God again that they risked their reputation. They went up to a person and said, hey, the Holy Spirit will not let this go with me. Like He just keeps bringing it up. It's always in my thoughts. And over the Christmas time, so this was a few weeks ago. Over the Christmas time, um, you asked me a question and I wasn't altogether honest with you. And I want to ask your forgiveness. I shaded my answer and I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And, and I watched an interaction um, be restored. And the person asking forgiveness was restored to that individual and back to God. And they were pure at heart again. And the weight was lifted. It was risky. But it was worth it. Because that person wanted to be pure before God. Purity is a big deal in walking with God. Purity is a big deal in evangelism. How's your heart? 
Are you pure before the Lord? In a few moments, we're going to get the chance to take the bread and the cup. And, and Jesus would, would want you to come. But He would first say, I want you to be pure before me. And we'll have a chance to confess our sins and come before Him and be forgiven. Let's look at the next one, Philippians 1, 12 through 18. The big theme, the word is perspective. Perspective. Okay, so so far, we've, we've, we, we got this thing going. We got our partners, right? We got, like, we're, we're ready. We've got Paul praying for us. All right, we're pure before the Lord. All right, let me add it. Let me share Christ with someone. I'm so ready. And then, this is what happens. Something bad goes wrong in your life, right? Like you slip on the ice and break your arm, or you get sick, or you get benched on the volleyball team, or like, you know, you lose a friend or like something goes wrong. You're in the hospital and you're like, oh, I was ready for the work of ministry. But now because this happened, this is a distraction. That's the mindset, right? This is a distraction to what I was thinking the ministry could or would look like. How's this supposed to help me reach people? I can't do that with a busted foot. And then you read the Scriptures and you listen to Paul. Watch this. He's going to tell you something. And he's going to say, your perspective on your suffering is the determining factor to see if your suffering is wasted or not. Your perspective on your busted arm, your perspective on being benched, you can either grumble and complain and just navel gaze and think all about yourself. And if you do that, your suffering will be wasted. But if you view your suffering as Paul did, as Christ did, if you view your suffering as a strategic platform for the Gospel, your suffering won't be wasted in this life or the next. And God will use it. So what we're saying here in the third point is this. Your perspective on your suffering will be your platform for ministry. For reaching others. Look at Paul's perspective, okay? He's in prison. He's in, in chains, right? And he says, it's become clear to me that throughout the whole palace guard, all the people that's around me, and to everyone else, that I am in chains for who? Christ, right? And there's been some effects. Everyone knows that I'm in chains for Christ. And the believers have been emboldened to proclaim the Gospel even more so. They don't have any more fear anymore. As a result of my suffering, other believers are strengthened and non-believers are hearing the Gospel. How about that for a perspective? Right? Personal note. Um, just being your pastor, one of the most humbling things that I experience is visiting you guys in the hospital. Right? It's one of my like roles and just delights and privileges is that when you guys are sick and, and at your lowest point, um, I, I, I can come in and be with you. And oftentimes, this is the case. I'm like walking up the steps. I'm getting in the elevator and I'm saying, Lord, would you please use me? Like, I know I don't have it all figured out, but like, 
I know that this person is down, and so would, would you would you use my my life here, right? And hundred percent of the time, it's crazy in that I am always humbled by the people in the hospital. Just recently visited Dave. I know I visited Amy when she was down. The Hartzels are in the hospital right now, and God somehow like equips and enables the, his his children when they're at their lowest point to be joyful and outward focused. It's unbelievable. And so like I sit down and I see all you guys like smiling and and like reaching out to the nurses and to the doctors and hey, how can I be praying for you? Hey, great to see you again. And and I'm like, I was kind of down about like my bad parking spot in the hospital. I, I need to get like a better perspective here. And you guys always seem to encourage me when I visit you. It's unbelievable. The Hartzels have done a great job. For you visiting, uh, the Hartzels is a family where their eight-year-old has leukemia, and they've been in the hospital for a long time. And this portion of Scripture has really encouraged them to use their time in the hospital to reach others for Christ. And they're doing it. They're talking with others about the goodness of God. They're not dragging their head. They're being honest with their struggles. And they're being honest with how their struggles is causing them to look to the Lord. They're not disingenuous, but they're sharing how they're pursuing Jesus as a result of their hard times. They're a great example to us. And as a result, we should look at them and our faith should be strengthened and we should, without fear, proclaim the gospel even more to others as we watch those. So friends, let this be the year. I know that it's the beginning of the year. It's January. You're projecting your resolutions. You're planning. And you're, you might be thinking, everything's going to go according to my plan. I've got 12 goals, one a month. I'm going to accomplish it. And then you read Jesus. And you read Paul. And you remember that Jesus promised trials. He promised tribulations. Let this be the year where God opens our eyes amidst our suffering in order to be used by Him. Let's not have our suffering be wasted. Amen? Let's go to our next theme. You guys are doing really well. We're talking about purpose now. This is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. For me to live is what? Right. So what he's saying is the purpose of your life is to live for Christ. Principally, every, every believer is like, yes, absolutely, that is all me. But what we're going to say here is that living for Christ means partaking in other people's joy and growth in Christ. Now, don't just take it from me. I want you to see it in the Scriptures, okay? I'm going to say it again. Living for Christ isn't some ambiguous like 10,000-foot vision. He's saying living for Christ means helping other people know and grow to be like Jesus. That's the point that we're going to make. All right, so first, verse 21, he says, for me to live is Christ. All things are going to be centered and purposed upon living for Jesus Christ, but that still lacks a little bit of practical. What does it mean to live for Christ? We got our first descriptive sentence shortly after it, okay? He says, 
if I am to go on living in the flesh, meaning, hey, we all die. If I died, I would be with Christ. And he says, which is better by far. Which, side note, is a quick confirmation that we don't believe in soul sleep. When someone dies, they go right to Jesus. And that should totally comfort you if you've lost a loved one. They're not seen black and white like um, you know those old TVs for thousands of years. They are with Jesus if they know Him. That's, that's our verse right there. But Paul says, hey, to depart would be better. But I know that if I am going to live, what's it going to look like? He describes his life as fruitful labor. It lacks a little bit of specificity, but let's just dwell on it initially right now. Fruitful labor, it's worth noting that he calls the Christian life labor. It's hard work. He's going to labor for Jesus Christ. It's not just going to come. It's not going to like just spring up by osmosis. In Him following Jesus, He has to labor. And that sort of labor will be fruitful. So if you're trying to figure out what does it mean to live for Jesus Christ, circle verse 21 and put a line to fruitful labor and circle that one. It means to labor for Him fruitfully. So Paul right here is establishing our expectations of what it means to follow God and what life will look like. It's, it results in joy. It's the greatest thing ever. But you need to know that there's labor involved. And that goes against our fallen nature. It goes against what we want. Like we, we often demand, I just I demand that ministry not be so demanding, right? I want to serve in a way that doesn't require me to really serve that much. And Paul says, your whole life is going to be marked by fruitful labor if you live for Jesus Christ. Back to the text. You want to lean in on this one because right here, Paul is going to tell us what it means to live for Jesus by fruitfully laboring for Him. What exactly does He mean? Let your eyes find verse 24 and 25. He says two things. He says, Yet if I am to remain on in the flesh, it is more necessary for your sake. First thing he says is, I'm going to live for others. Living for Jesus, laboring fruitfully, means labor, like being and existing for the sake of others. Isn't that fascinating? And then he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you. And I want you to catch this phrase and memorize it. I'll continue with you in your joy and progress in the faith. What is like Paul's life verse? What is he all about? He wakes up in the morning. He goes to bed at night. When he puts his head on the pillow, he's thinking about how can I help Others grow in Christ and know and know Him. That's, that's what he's thinking about. In what ways can I help Steve or John or Sarah or Beth know and grow to be like Jesus? How can I participate in her or his joy and progress in the faith? That's his reason for living. That's what it means. This is message 
of this text, and this is what we want for our people, our church. This is what we want to pray for on a daily basis. This is like what we want to like spring up in terms of our vision for making disciples and reaching out to people. We want people to live for Christ by laboring fruitfully, participating in other people's joy and progress in the faith. We want people filled with the Spirit to say, Lord, I'm willing, would you send me anywhere to anyone? Doesn't matter how tall, short, wide, thin, popular, unpopular. I just want to help them grow in Christ. And it doesn't stop there. This verse has been like working on my heart. It's the last one in this section, and it's this. That through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. I've looked back over all my conversations this past week. Have the people that I've rubbed shoulders with boasted in Jesus as a result of me being with them? That's the question. In your interactions at work, in your interactions at mommy-daughter play dates, and, and every interaction, could you look back on it and go, yeah, that person loves Jesus more because I was with them. Not in a boastful way, but in a very biblical, scripture, scriptural sort of way. On account of me. That's life vision. That's challenging. If you're taking notes, this is one to, to journal about this week and ask the Lord how to use you in such a way. Do people boast in Jesus by me being with them? Let this year be the year, friends, that you seek to influence others by the Spirit of God spiritually, to influence others spiritually so that they would know and grow to be like Jesus when you rub shoulders with them. Are you with me? All right, let's finish up our time with the last one. How do you think it's going to end? How would you wrap up this section? How would you tie a pretty little bow on it? Paul is going to say, you guys got to persevere. Hang in there and don't quit. Okay? Once again, we, we see the, the stark realities. If you're anticipating maybe where the text is going, in our human perspective, we'd be like, yeah, if I get everything right, if I have the right partners, and if I am pure before the Lord, and if I like commit my purposes to living for Jesus, and if I'm trying, then things will go well for me, right? And when we say well, we mean smoothly, without problems. I won't ever break anything. I won't ever lose any money. I'll be financially successful and stable. If I do all these things, Pastor, just tell me, will my life be perfect? And Paul's going to just help us with our expectations of what life looks like here in this last time. He's going to solidify our expectations and he's going to say, persevere. You want to live for Jesus Christ? It's going to be hard. God, is this normal that I'm experiencing this? Paul's going to go, yeah, it is. It is. Just look at a few of them. Look at 28. He says, I have 
opponents, or some translations say enemies. They're like, what are you doing wrong? Why do you have enemies? No, 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 that's actually confirmation. You might be doing the right things. Look at 29. He, he, he like makes it a point, relay it to him that I still have some suffering. You guys see that I'm suffering? You guys are going through some suffering? And you are seeing that I still have it. It's not gone because I committed to live for Christ. Look at 30. Same thing. Points it out. I'm still suffering in this way. And do you know what he says? This is very normal. You're not going crazy, brothers and sisters in the Lord. You're not doing anything wrong. Sure, some suffering is a result of sin, but we're not talking about that here. He says, hey, you're in good company with your suffering. So what's the strategy then? Don't give up. He tells you, basically, in like layman dude terms, hey, all this stuff's going to be really hard. Hey, don't do anything stupid. Okay? In biblical terms, he says this, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Summary, whatever happens in your life, live in such a way as when people look at you, they see the gospel. So when it comes to evangelism, your conduct is critical. You're not crazy. You're in good company. To encourage you, I think the last question would be, so is, is all this worth it? And I think that depends on your answer to verse 21. That to me, to live is Christ. If you can fill in Christ with any other thing, you might be asking, and your answer to is it worth it would be, I don't think it is. If your answer is, for me to live is fame. For me to live is fortune. Or for me to live is my job. For me to live is family. For me to live is sports. For me to live is my reputation. For me to live is my hobby. For me to live is my weekends. I mean, I'll work with, but life happens on the... If it's anything else besides Christ, I don't know if you'll think it's worth it. The suffering, the opponents, the enemies. What makes it worth it? I would say the Gospel answer to that is Jesus really felt your he came and he suffered and he died on the cross. His heart was for you. He satisfied the wrath of the Father and loved you so much. And that while you were still sinning, while I was still sinning, that he died for us. He loved you and he counted the cost. And he said, You're worth it. Today, as we remember Christ through the bread and the cup, I want the, just that, that word of worth to permeate your prayers. To first go to Him and say, Lord, thank You for being having that attitude where You loved me so much You thought I was worth it. 
And in turn, my life is yours. If you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never repented of your sins and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, today would be a great time to do it. To go, no one's ever told me that I was worth anything. But now you're telling me that God loves me and that Jesus Christ died for me. Yeah, all right, I'm into that. But if you've been in the Lord for 20, 30, 50 years, and you've been down and you feel like your life hasn't been worth it, today would be a great opportunity to be like, thank you for reminding me that Jesus thought I was worth it and I'm going to live for Him. Lord, forgive me for replacing Christ with all sorts of things. For me to live is blah, blah, blah. I just want it to be Christ. Let me pray for us. And then when you're ready, you can come on up and take the bread and the cup and go to the wings, pray with, a, with your partners in the gospel, with fellow partakers of, the, of grace. And then we'll close our time responding to God's Word in prayer. Lord, we love You. And Lord, we come to You now. And we're so grateful for what You've done through Jesus. And we, we, we see this vision that You've laid before us in Philippians 1 as such a worthy and high calling. Lord, by faith, we're, we're thankful for our, our partners. Lord, by faith, we want to pursue You in purity. Lord, by faith, we look to You in our suffering and ask, would You give us the right perspective? We want to live for You. We want our conduct to be pleasing for You and to You. Would You do a great work in our lives? As Your people come to You and look to be purified and washed, cleansed from our unrighteousness, Lord, we thank You for the promise that Your Son Jesus forgives and Your Spirit fills.